welcome everybody again to another episode of the Blue Banter podcast, a podcast where we're striving to introduce the members of the RPCNA to the pastors of the RPCNA and to serve young and aspiring pastors by gleaning wisdom from men with ministry experience. I am one of your co-hosts, Joe Smith, pastor of Westminster Reformed Presbyterian Church in Westminster, Colorado. My name is Aaron, pastor of Marion Reformed Presbyterian Church in Marion, Indiana, the promised land of the North. And Joe, the uh, this little idea of Marion being the promised land of the North is really starting to gain traction. I'm starting to get people who come up here and be like, yeah, promised land of the North. Uh, I hear uh, from you that even some of the uh, students under care are talking about Marion being the promised land of the North. So I'm just I'm just saying, uh, keep it up. Um, pretty soon we'll have T-shirts, Joseph. Blue Banter, Marin, Indiana, Promised Land of the North. Almost to the point where I just can't deny it. Well, we do have a a little bit of a different episode for you today that we'll introduce in just a moment. But uh, if you are a regular listener of the podcast, you may have noticed we've been a little bit uh, sporadic in releasing our episodes. And in part, that's just because of, honestly, mostly just the busyness of life. And uh, Joe and I have always talked about, you know, our priorities in ministry and if we get too busy, then uh, the podcast is really kind of the first thing to kind of get the axe. Now, we're not wanting to stop the podcast at all, but you might see, uh, again, just sporadic recording schedules here and there just because life is super busy, particularly as we enter into the holiday season. And then uh, I'm expecting uh, a fourth child here in the next couple of weeks. So uh, just be patient with us. We'll be keeping putting episodes out here and there. Hopefully we'll get on a regular weekly schedule um, in the not too distant future. Uh, but for now, uh, we might just have some random episodes posted here and there over the next few weeks. But we do have an episode today. We have a topic today, and I'll let uh, Mr. Smith introduce that for us. Yeah, so we had one of our listeners. Who's, 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 my, who's, my who's my the wife. listener? Yeah, you better throw it. <laughs> yeah, so many people listen to this, just throwing topics at us and stuff. Um, no, she... Uh, she requested a kind of or thought it would be interesting or helpful for people, kind of a life at seminary podcast. And she threw out some topics that at least she uh, would be. So we at least have one interested listener in this podcast that she would thought it would be interesting to hear about uh, some of the living differences and pros and cons between living on campus versus off some of the um, just some of our thoughts on seminary internships, course load, work study, and just some of the general uh, pros of RPTS. And so those will be kind of the four main things that we'll hit uh, with this episode in honor of my lovely wife. And so we'll just start out here. She was curious or thought it would be interesting to hear about since you and I uh, have different experiences on this, uh, just our thoughts about living on campus versus off campus. So uh, you were an off campus guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a horrible idea. <laughs> Everyone already knows that. But could you tell us a little bit about what you thought some of the pros and cons were to your off campus life? And just so people know, you were like, off campus like yeah, I mean, an hour away i wasn't the furthest away people have driven further but yeah it was it was definitely off off campus um i think we've talked about this on the podcast before but 
um, before I go into the pros and cons, I'll just go into the reason for why we chose to live off campus. I think, you know, originally we had uh, wanted to live on campus and I think we even reserved one of the apartments above the counseling center there. Um, but uh, we had a internship opportunity in Beaver Falls. And so as my wife and I talked about it, we thought it was more important for us to be close to the church that we were going to be interning at the whole time we were at seminary, which was <clears throat> two whole years rather than close to the seminary. So um, rather than biting the bullet every Lord's day, driving up and um, you know, not really feeling rested on the Lord's day, uh, we decided we would live basically you know, two blocks from the church and I would drive down to seminary. So that's why we, we chose to live off campus. It was a, it was a good reason. And I know you're uh, still a little salty about it, but uh, you know, I, uh, I'm more important with uh, being faithful to Jesus than to Joe Smith. I hope that's okay with you, Pastor Smith. I'm not sure the two are contradictory in this. I, oh, I don't know about that one. Um, yeah, you started it. <laughs> so I think I'll just start with the uh, the cons. Um, there were pros, but regarding seminary life, mostly cons. One was just the drive, like Joe was saying, um, roughly an hour. Then if you've been in Pittsburgh before, you know, the traffic can be abysmal, particularly around the tunnels. So anywhere from an hour to I think the longest it took for me to get home was three hours because of traffic. And most of that was, you know, 15 minutes outside of the seminary being stuck in tunnels and all that. So uh, if you're living off campus, particularly for RPTS, you just got to take into account the traffic and you got to give yourself time. Um, and so with that, you know, you lose a lot of time. Um, you kind of get drained in the car. And then there's a there's a legitimate fuel expense uh, that you're having to pay. So I was driving, you know, roughly 100 and some miles every day. That puts a wear and tear on your car, puts a wear and tear on your bank account. So that's just something you got to be uh conscious of and you got to be really disciplined with your time. You got to get up early. You got to know when the traffic's going to hit. So when do you leave the seminary? That kind of thing. So I can talk more about that, but what were some of the uh starting with cons, I guess, living on campus for you? Well, real quick, can you just tell some of the listeners how you maximized your travel uh like that time in the car, that car time? Yeah. Well, again, one you got to figure out when the traffic's coming. So um, I would leave Beaver Falls generally around 4.30 in the morning, um, sometimes 5 if I slept in. So you would beat the traffic. Um, and then you have to know when to leave the seminary, obviously, on the way back. But, you know, you redeem the time and you try and either, you know, listen to podcasts, listen to sermons, uh, spend time in prayer. I was taking um, some online classes as well. So not, not all classes you can do that with, but but some you can listen to them while you drive, at least the lectures. Um, that gets you into a pickle when you need to take a note and you can't. <laughs> but that would be some of the ways I tried out. Did you listen to, I know a lot of guys were, uh, listened to some of the seminary text books mm-hmm. in the, in the re- did you ever do that? Uh, there were maybe three or four that you could do that with. Some of them, I mean, you could get them on Kindle and then you could have like the Siri voice read them to you, which was absolutely brutal because anytime like a footnote is mentioned or scriptures referenced, which they're theology books. So it happens a lot. The the voice will read that to you. So it'll be, it'll be like read it to you. And then it'll say like, do five colon one dash six. And you're just like, I can't do this. I, I can't, I'm done. Nice. <laughs> um, so yeah, you could do that sometimes, but not, not for our, cause a lot of these textbooks are not going to be on Kent or on audible. 
So, okay. And and then what did you, what did you ask me specifically for? I plugged in there. Well, uh, what are your cons for living close? Cons? Not, not, not pros, but yeah, cons. I don't know if I had any cons. I think it was all pro. Um, trying to. What about Pinav? Would that be a con or a pro? Yeah. I mean, I guess I wasn't, uh, bothered too bad by Pinav um because now somebody better to ask about that would have been somebody like Josh Smith or John Sturm because they actually had to cross or Pinav. Elsa Sturm who like broke her ankle yeah <laughs> or, or Martin Monteith who got hit by a car <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're we're laughing because he was okay like if he wasn't okay we wouldn't laugh but we we got it on the security camera so we, we watched it a lot I forgot about that until I just now said something. Um, so, 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 uh, yeah, we never had to deal with Penn, really. I mean, getting getting out, I guess that would be one of the cons, you know, if you needed to get out to go to the grocery store or just leave the seminary, uh, turning west on Penn Avenue out of the seminary could be an absolute nightmare. Um but I mean, it was never, I never felt like it was like overly noisy or anything like that. One other con, I guess, perhaps would have been just the, uh, the neighborhood that the seminary is in, or at least the neighborhood to the east. Uh, there would just be constant people, uh, like the threats of theft vehicle, um, people. Like, I think we like left our car unlocked once or twice the entire time we're at seminary and it was like one for one or two for two on having our car rummaged through, uh, by people in the middle of the night. So that would maybe be another con. I don't I think know the, the seminary is working on that with like extra lighting and things like that to alleviate yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to discourage um, people from living on campus. No, no, not at all. Um, but other than that, like, I, I don't honestly think I have any, cons um i mean josh and i the maintenance guy at the time it was easy for him to to recruit you uh for some help lugging things up and down stairs or something if you were close by but so uh, is, is that a con having to serve yeah i don't know that's what i was going to say i don't really consider that a con even if the timing wasn't ideal i mean it was yeah like i mean i'm seriously in this like i was happy to serve and it was fun to have that time to hang out with josh but you know just you know like i said the timing of it may may have been the only con you may be in the middle of something and yeah you get text to ask something or help for something but but overall i i wouldn't really classify that as a as a con All right, so well, give, give me the pros then why the why pros. should someone consider living on campus at rpts sure well the cost is likely to be significantly lower than off-campus living. Um, if you live in one of the buildings that the seminary or friends of seminary own, the rent is going to be way down, comparatively speaking. Uh, the commute to seminary, just face it, you're three years, you're doing seminary. That's what you're doing. So the commute uh, is superior uh to off-campus living um the fellowship the opportunities for hospitality now i know you had more opportunities for hospitality amongst the church members 
but the opportunities of fellowship, hospitality, and community with those specific families who are, who are in that exact same stage of life and experience as you uh, was something that was just absolutely invaluable. And I know you and Mary didn't miss out on that, like totally or anything, but uh, it was just an excellent opportunity. Access, just easy access to the library uh, was nice. Just being able to run over uh, something real quick or whatever. And here's, then, here's, here's a pro for me about that, right? Cause I didn't, you know, I didn't have a library right across the street, but uh, I was the one who brought the coffee to the library, you know, so we'd have coffee after chapel and everything. So uh, they'd get their coffee from Bifcat, shout out to Bifcat up in Beaver Falls. So since I live there, I just bring the coffee down. And every time I brought a bag of coffee down, uh, Jordan, our librarian, you know, let me pick out a free book. So, you know, I got a lot of free books. So that's another pro for living off campus, at least in my particular case. How many free books did you get? It's not a general pro. Don't lie to people. No, 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 Um, dude. I've got a whole set of Turretin. I've got Voss's Systematics. I've got, I'm just looking at my bookshelf right now and I've got a bunch for free. Particular circumstantial pro. You asked about my experience, my experience. I'm giving you my experience and now you're invalidating it. Don't mislead the people. Um, Fifth pro for on-campus living is the access to Frick Park, which is, a wonderful park and legendary hiking. You just got to watch out for bridges. I was just about to say that. (laughs) That's the only danger, but other than that, it's great. Yeah. The infrastructure is not great. (laughs) So, and then with the, the seminary housing, um, you already mentioned Josh and I, and then I can't remember the the name of the uh, other fellow they hired uh, to do facilities work, but they've been doing a lot of really good work on uh, the housing there, particularly over the uh, um, counseling center. So the housing that, you know, people will likely live in in the next year and a half or so is going to be drastically different than those um, from our pastors who went to seminary 10 years ago. So the housing is getting a lot better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what's the pros, Mr. Murray, on off-campus living? Well, I think the the, the pro for me would actually be a con for you because you had to drive 45 minutes to uh, worship morning and evening, um, which is not unheard of. But it was nice to be able to, in some cases, if I had the patience with my kids to to walk to church, but being close to church. Um, and then this will get kind of into the internship thing as well. But uh, I had my own office there. Um, so again, we're talking about my own personal experience. I, you know, you wanted me to come up with, you know, pros for people living off campus in other areas. I can't possibly do that, but, uh, I had my own office there at the the church. So studying was really nice because it's studying at the seminary is fun. Um, and I really miss it. And I do miss kind of the, the fun interruptions, but they were interruptions, but when you have your own office, you're kind of free of those interruptions. So for me, that would be another uh, con just being close to the church, being able to be involved in the community. Like, you know, you're talking about the community of the seminary, which is really good. And I feel like Mary and I were able to, for the most part, be involved with things. We missed out on a couple of things here and there, but um, where we missed out there at the seminary, we we gained uh, at our local congregation. So we're really able to enjoy, you know, the fellowship um, and relationships just in the congregational life um, of hope that we would not have been able to if we were commuting up to hope from the seminary. Okay, so in conclusion, on-campus living is vastly superior to off-campus living. You agreed with that? No, it's all contextual. It depends on what you're doing. Whatever. All right, well, you brought it up. 
you mentioned the internships and how this was going to lead into that. My wife was also curious just um, our experience with the internships. And I think what she may be getting at is you and I, and even we differed some, had took kind of um, uh, the less common route with internships versus what most guys will commonly do or that most guys commonly hear about. Um, the most common kind of internship that a man will do in seminary will be, I don't remember the exact time, 10 to 12 week or whatever it is, uh, summer internship where oftentimes that may involve you moving your family uh, for a summer and going wherever you're going and kind of in a sense being a full-time intern for that 10 to 12 weeks or or whatever it is. You and I, though, um, myself through Grace Gibsonia with Jeff Stuyvesant and you at Hope with George Gregory, we both did extended internships. Yours was like a super extended one. And mine was one that uh, was eight or nine months that that paralleled the school year. And so just curious, at some of, again, this is kind of maybe a pro-con question, what are your thoughts on uh, kind of the pros of those two different models, the extended uh, internship model versus the more concentrated, strictly summer model? And can you speak kind of uh, to your experience with that extended model? Yeah, well, so the the, uh, the summer internship, the con is having to move your family. I think that unless you're doing one, an internship at one of like the Pittsburgh congregations which there's a few and a lot of guys will do that um so if you do that that's great but if you've got to move your family i mean that that's a real real pain in the midst of all your seminary studies and then another con like i think they're good so that they should be done but another con is you know 10 to 12 weeks that's just enough time for you basically to get settled in and you know start to get established in that congregation start to learn the different personalities the strengths um, of that congregation. Um, so you're kind of getting like a, you go into Walmart, you get like a little sampler of something, but you don't really get to experience the whole thing. Um, so they're good, but again, uh, once the internship ends, that's really when things really start to progress because 10 weeks, that's about as long as it takes for people to start to trust you. So you still get like the teaching experiences. You still get the, the, you know, the discipleship from the pastors that you're studying with. Um, but the I'm I'm more of a big fan of the extended internships if churches can do it. Uh, I think you and I both had not only extended internships at uh, while we were in seminary, but also before, right? Like I don't know how long you were interning at Southside for, but how long were you there? Specifically, the how long did I intern for? Yeah, it, it was a, it was an exactly one year okay. exploratory internship. Yeah, so you did a one year internship. I think I was at second for one and a half to two years as an intern. And then another two years uh, at Hope. And, you know, they were both, you know, drastically different types of internships, but uh, they're really good because you, you're there for a long time. Um, you get to know the congregation. You get to know the needs of the congregation. Um, the elders there have more time to evaluate your strengths and your weaknesses. Like you can do that in 10 weeks. You can, um, but it's much more effective over a long period of time. and 
when you're doing an internship while you're in seminary, you're able to literally take your stuff from the classroom into the congregation that week. And so it's it's not just ivory tower stuff. It's like, all right, you get to take this, go into the field and feed the sheep with this. And uh, you can really see if you've actually understood a concept in seminary, if the sheep understand the concept as you're trying to teach them. Or if you're like, yeah, no, you need to do some more, more work on that. Um, I'm shooting from the hip here with all this stuff, but what do you think? No, I think I think you were you were hitting at some of the things that I had, like as far as pros for the extended internship. Um, you noted kind of the one side of of more time with sessions and churches that mm-hmm. that I was thinking of. Uh, you kind of noted this this well, if I was hearing you right, but either way, this would be something you would agree with. It's more time for the sessions and the churches. Uh, to give you feedback, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To learn you, to give you feedback, but also for you uh, to learn from them. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I got to sit in Grace Gibsonia's session meetings um, for nine months versus, you know, you may get a uh, two session meetings maybe with a summer internship. And so like literally four to five times the amount of session meetings, um, now, yeah, you know, obviously session meetings, unless they go into executive session, are open to anybody, and so you could do that. But yeah, just with the obligations of seminary life, etc., it's helpful to have that pressure on you and that expectation. So, anyways, you you do go to these session meetings. You get much more feedback from sessions and churches, which is instrumental in confirming or not. Uh, your sense of internal call, because let's just face it, for most guys at that point would not have an actual call uh, from a congregation at that point in their seminary life, year one or two, where they are doing um, these internships. So just the time with the people like you were getting at, the time with the session and that kind of dialogue uh, that kind of back and forth of you learning, uh, them learning you, providing feedback, et cetera, I think was was invaluable. Really. Well, and it's 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 a much more realistic representation of what life in ministry is going to look like if you're doing these long term internships, because, you know, you'll have these assignments in seminary that you need to get done. And if you don't get them done, worst case scenario, OK, sorry, your grade suffers, you know. But when you've got, you know, a Bible study to teach, a sermon to preach, prayer meeting to lead, you know, evangelistic things to um, uh, take charge of, if those things don't get done, it's more than just a grade that suffers. It's more than just you who suffers personally. It's everybody else. And so feeling that pressure is really, really good for a man to to feel the pressure of your seminary studies, as well as, you know, the the ministry, like the actual ministry. Yeah, I had a couple thoughts on that as well. I totally agree with everything you said. Um, the The super busyness of life is super helpful for real life ministry. So the the capacity that it builds in you um, is also invaluable because I used to freak out about uh, preaching two sermons a week and doing all the other things. And... I didn't find it honestly difficult at all other not that's that's an absolute statement that that wouldn't be 100% true but I think you get what I'm saying like just the general capacity of time etc that was needed to be put into things I think I was really helped in 
my work capacity growing through doing both full-time seminary and an extended internship. The, the only thing that I think in this realm that a a concentrated internship could provide um, more insight into real-life ministry is if you were um, – because some guys weren't, right? But if you were expected to preach at minimum every single week, uh, do a Bible study, or maybe preach twice a week, or whatever it was, if you had like a pretty hardcore internship, uh, that would be a good insight into what life at a church would look like that maybe um, the extended internship plus seminary couldn't totally imitate. Now, I think you're totally right. And as I just said, the extended internship in the seminary builds your work capacity up over time in a way that cannot be imitated by the concentrated summer internship. But you and I, one thing we did lack, but which by God's grace, we were sustained in being able to do because, you know, it's this idea of of a general strength and workload capacity enabling you to perform generally well in crossover sports or whatever versus a very particular training, right? Um, so, you know, let's just say if you you run a lot, but you're not a basketball player, you're at least going to be cardiovascularly capable of getting out on a basketball court and running around almost immediately, right? But you're not going to have the kind of maybe sport-specific training that you would get if you played basketball a lot. So in a sense, summer internships are kind of like this concentrated particular training. But you and I had much general training that was helpful in many ways, but also increased our general workload capacity to where that crossed over into uh, actual ministry. But one thing just you and I didn't have experience with was like, what's it like to only be doing in-church ministry um, for weeks on end? Right. I don't think either of us had that in any of our internships. So that would be the one pro I think maybe you would get from a summer internship. Mm-hmm. Well, and I and this might be particular to my own case, but as I was reflecting on my internship, uh, particularly Hope, one of the things that I regret about it was how split my time was. So when it came to like the teaching and stuff like the the, the public side of ministry, um, I think I did fine. When it when it came to more of the uh, interpersonal type stuff, I was able to be involved with people and, and you know participate in fellowship events and things like that. But it was mostly my wife and kids who would do things, um, you know, and I did them as I was able. But there were some times I was like, yeah, I, I can't go to this event because I've got all this classwork to do. Um, and so that would be one negative side of things. Now, part of that was just because of the chorus load that I chose. So um, it was a hell of my own making. But if you're doing a, like you're saying, a concentrated internship, like you're focused on the week in, week out realities of ministry, including the interpersonal type stuff um, throughout the week. Yeah. Wh- one of the other just pros that I had uh, was the flexibility for the summer. Right. So it can be crazy um, during the seminary school year, but it allows you to have if you do one of these extended internships that essentially uh, follows. I know technically yours did go through the summers, but um, mm-hmm. if, if you do an extended one at a church 
and I'll be honest with you, I don't know if anybody else other than Grace and Hope would do these. I'm not sure. Um, but 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 either way, in college it Hill does, did it right with okay. uh, with Martin. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, but it does allow flex for the summer. So you could, if you wanted, just literally take the summers off or you could go back home or you could do whatever. You could get as much refreshment as you wanted during the summer in preparation for the next year um, or, or, or just have a lot of flex doing pulpa supply at local churches in Pittsburgh. You could do just the flexibility and freedom that allows for the summer. So it allowed me to take full-time classes uh, through the summer and to speed up things and make sure I graduated on time, um, et cetera. Uh, it gave you an opportunity. Probably you were able to plug more into. Well, I did, I did, I did full-time classes over the summer as well. Oh, did you? Okay. So, I mean, I wasn't, they were all online, so I didn't have to commute like I did. Right. Um, but yeah, but, but yeah, so that, that was just one other pro I had is the flexibility that it allows for the summer that guys that go out for these internships just don't have. I mean, it's like class gets over, you're packing the U-Haul or whatever, you're floating out to wherever, and then you're packing the U-Haul and coming back and you're like hitting the ground running um, and and taking back off. So that that was essentially, those those were basically the pros and cons that I had on the, on the difference uh, between the two, but that's just something to yeah. keep in mind. I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll give one more and this, this could be a pro and con, however you want to look at it, but, and, and you just alluded to it earlier. Um, there's not a lot of churches that can do prolonged internships, uh, particularly while you're in seminary, um, especially if you're on campus, the ones that can tend to be the larger congregations. Um, and so that's, that's one thing I wish I could have done was intern at a smaller congregation because both 2RP and, and Hope, um, they're probably like in the top 10 as far as the largest. I, I might be off on that, but they're still, the, the point is they're larger churches. So I think I would have benefited from being able to do a short-term internship with like a congregation of 20, 30 people. Um, that, that would have been an, a different type of experience. Um so if you're doing the short term, you 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 basically the pool of opportunity or the pool of choices is a little bit bigger than an extended internship. Yeah, and just just with that as well too. Obviously, for for the most part, you're locked into Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. right? Like right. those are your options. And so yeah, if you if you um you got a guy that you would really love to intern, and he's not local to Pittsburgh, but he's willing to do an internship with you, or there's a certain church or whatever. At that point, yeah, you would be locked in to the shorter route. So that would maybe be a pro for the more concentrated internship is flexibility to um, experience, you know, different sides of the country, uh, learn under a particular pastor who you've been particularly blessed by from a distance, perhaps, or or whatever. So so as far as that goes, the concentrated internships would win in terms of flexibility. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I mean, those, I don't think we've settled that debate. I think that one is. I don't think you I can. I, yeah, I think it's, it, yeah, I'll just plenty shut up. Of, plenty of pros and some cons uh, to both. But I think you and I. We both, didn't settle the debate about off-campus and on-campus living either. Just Just to put the record straight here, you may think so, and I'm happy for you. Your initial silence implied that the debate had been settled. And that's why you just freaked out and had to qualify it. Now I'm just a little dense and it takes me a while to catch up on things. Either way, it's not a good look for me. 
um but yeah i mean i think i think both you and i uh don't regret our decisions uh to do those extended internships mm -hmm. i do i do think they they can definitely be a blessing but there would be some of the reasons we noted that maybe you would want to do um something different and i know like for instance josh smith did both he he went out and interned over the summer with kyle borg in winchester and then his final year at seminary he went ahead and also did uh, an extended internship at grace gibsonia after i had finished mine so you can go the both and route as far as these are concerned if you if you thought about that, but the, you know, little things like that would be helpful to think about uh, before you go out to seminary, just, just what would be best for you? What are some guys you'd like to reach out to uh, that you would be super interested um, in interning under uh, so on and so forth and which option of those we just listed uh, would be preferable to you. Um, as far as like, you know uh, we we've said, we want to serve young and aspiring pastors on this podcast uh, from gleaning wisdom with men with ministry experience. I don't know that we would qualify too much yet in that regard, though technically we're not rookies anymore, but we certainly would qualify as men with seminary experience. And so for, for guys who are thinking about seminary, uh, what can you give them just as far as, you know, the course load to be expected what classes kind of look and feel like, um, as well as the options for work study and TA work. So just kind of seminary workload. Uh, what can brothers aspiring to pastoral ministry expect at RPTS? And again, this is somewhat going to be a subjective answer, but plenty of objective uh, facts can be brought in as well. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a... In one sense, it's a very easy question to answer. In another sense, it's a little more complex than that because people's contexts are very different. You know, the the three year track in seminary, um, it's still kind of the norm. But for the most part, I keep hearing about more and more guys who take four years, five years, six years to get it done. So it kind of depends on what your context is. It depends on if you're, you know, working in seminary. It depends on if you have a family in seminary. I mean, I'll say if you're a single guy um, in seminary, you don't have a lot of expenses, you better be hitting it hard <clears throat> unless there's a really good reason not to. Um, but, you know, I know uh, we've got a guy here in the the GLG um, who's got a number of kids all older. Well, not older, but his oldest just got married and it's a little bit harder for him to be able to throw himself into a study. So it depends. Um, so I'm, I don't know. I mean, I guess you answer it the way you were wanting it to be answered and then I'll pitch in with my thoughts on it. I mean, I was just thinking super basic stuff, even like, so, I mean, RPTS is uh, a three-year um, program and I could be wrong, but I think some seminaries may be four-year. Um, and and also RPTS is a 135 credit uh degree and i think some seminaries are a 90 credit hour yeah what and what seminaries do you think do four years i've never heard of that before i could be wrong and i probably am i was thinking that somebody had told me once that puritan was four year but maybe it's 
three well, years. If, just, any, if any seminary is, it would be Puritan. But 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 also, I think that they do like 90 hour versus 135. But also, this plays into the distinction between semesters mm-hmm. versus quarters. Mm-hmm. So the the credit hours that you would get somewhere that's on like a semester system, which I guess I could be totally wrong about Puritan being four years because maybe maybe three makes more sense with the 90 as that is that's going to easily more divide into uh 30 hour years um so i could be totally off on that four year thing but but no nevertheless i am a little more confident though open to certainly correction on this that they are 90 hour uh they're a 90 hour seminary in a semester seminary so you are going to have longer classes that are likely to go deeper and you're probably going to have more reading and and longer papers, et cetera, which would be totally understandable if you're doing uh, two semesters a year versus three quarters. So RPTS runs on a quarter system, three 45-year uh, quarter system. So it gets you to the 135 credit hours. And so your breadth is probably going to be superior uh, to somewhere like Puritan, but there may be just by virtue of pure timing um, less depth than somewhere that's on a 90 hour uh, semester system. And again, I don't plan to, but you could argue the pros and cons of each of those. Um, So that being the case, you're typically going to have uh, though 12 credit hours qualifies you at full time at um RPTS, typically a full-time load standard is going to be 15 credit hours. Most of your classes are three credit hours. So you could plan on taking five five classes per quarter if you were just going to do it standard. And you can do uh, reading on this. It's, It's pretty basic knowledge, though, that depending on the class, uh, your perhaps previous knowledge expectations, you can expect to spend anywhere from one to three hours out of class for every credit hour in class. And so, for instance, um, a three credit hour class, you're going to spend three hours in class per week. And then depending on that class and your own ability, et cetera, um, you could be expected to spend any where from three to nine hours um, out of class on that class. So reading, um, papers, other projects, uh, exams, study for those exams, so on and so forth. So so that would just be a general idea uh, based on some general principles that, again, you can find that one to three hour out of class rule just by reading about what to expect in college or a master's level program or whatever. Um, That would be just a general overview of the workload. Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I've got some more things I could say, but. I mean, I've got thoughts on how to get it done, but I think you've covered the basics of what you wanted to cover. How do you get it done, Mr. Murray? Discipline. You get it done through. Di- I mean, I'm I'm dead serious. I, <clears throat> you know, discipline is. I know. I was just digging your hardcore answer there. It, <laughs> well, you and I are both like fairly disciplined people. Um, I think you so more than I am. Um, but if if you go into seminary without a plan, you're gonna fail, um, or you're gonna suffer really, really bad. Um, 
So I don't know how many did how many credits did you take on average every quarter? I mean, I was always at like 15 every once in a while because, you know, you and I were taking some one credit stuff or you mm -hmm. may have a random two credit. The highest I got may have been 18, 17 or 18. But I think due to what I had taken beforehand and due to being able to take a full-time summer load, I was able to float in that 15 to 17 range every quarter except for my last, which I think ended up being, and this was all planned and very intentional and for a specific reason, I think my last quarter was somewhere between 9 and 10, something mm -hmm. like that. Um but again, that was planned and intentional. I was shooting for that. Yeah, I think I think I was the same. I think it was 15 credits every quarter, except for one, which was 19 credits. And I was then, gonna say I thought you had a crazy close yeah, to 20 hour. I, yeah. Um it was it was something. And then the last quarter was intentionally, you know, nine, which felt like I wasn't even doing anything compared to <laughs> right. 19. And that was intentional because, you know, I wanted to have time to be able to do last minute candidating or, you know, certain, you know, ordination exams, things like that, that I wanted to be able to invest my time in. Um, yeah. So just real quick, I think yeah. I think that would be something that we would both be fans of recommending to guys thinking about seminary is do think about uh, when candidating is likely to crank up for you, which it would be nice if you got some of that in your middler year. But more likely, just practically, it's going to take just for all sorts of reasons, it's going to start happening your senior year. And so if you can front load, if you can bite the bullet and front load some classes and get permission to take some heavier course loads just here and there, you know, if your first two years you were just able to take 12 to 15 extra hours that that your first two years you could take that that's essentially giving you a quarter off or or two lesser quarters you know for your senior year to where you could spend more time out candidating not feeling just uber swamped you could just have time to just do all sorts of other things just pack pray plan prepare all sorts of other things that are going to be much more difficult if you just kind of standard along. Now, obviously, you have to have permission to do all these things, um, but but asking is the key to getting permission. And so, you know, I think that's something both you and I would recommend and totally do again, biting the bullet earlier on and having more flex and freedom mm -hmm. at the end there. Well, and I think the biting the bullet early on in every single quarter you ought to do like that. So one of yeah. my strategies was I was front loading a lot of my work even before the quarter started. So you'd get your general, I mean, you get your like reading list and stuff for your classes way ahead of time, but then you'd actually get your syllabus a week before classes started. So you'd be able to look at what all your requirements are, what the required reading is, what pages in the required reading are required what type of writing responsibilities that you have, what type of, you know, in a lot of the pastoral theology classes, it was, I mean, honestly, this is probably where the intern or this uh, podcast was inspired by was having to interview other pastors <laughs> and uh, certain pastoral theology classes. So when you see those, it's like, well, get on that and start scheduling those interviews early. I would always read two books ahead of time before the class even started. Um, not for every class, but for, you know, like you look at some of the counseling classes and there was a lot of reading in there. And then you had to read a, read the book and you had to do some interaction paper on it. So I would try and knock two of those out 
before um, the class even started. So you think about that. That's 40 hours of work that you get done before the class or before your quarter even starts. And so I would, I mean, I would be killing myself the beginning, but then, you know, come uh, finals week, I felt great. You know, I could sit there and just chill and study for the tests because um, I had all of the other, you know, quote unquote, busy work done. Um, so front loading is huge when it comes to success. If you've got a lot of credits to take. Yeah. Yeah. I think the plan there either way, however you look at it is yeah. Just planning, like literally write down on paper, get it out of your head, prioritize, you know, your, your work, you know, whether you want to classify that busy work, whatever papers, exams, when they're due, write all those things out and then just do the plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just do it. Uh, So much ease of mind and efficiency can be gained by just writing out your plan, taking an hour to write out your plan is all it really would take at Mm -hmm. the beginning of each quarter and then just do it. Well, and then not even the beginning of each quarter, but the beginning of each week. Like I'm, I'm really, and I, some people are into it more than I am fine, but I'm a big fan of bullet journaling. So, excuse me, I need to have like a cough button or something in here. Um, but basically writing out everything that you have to do that week on one single sheet of paper. And generally, if you know yourself well enough, if you know your professors, your classes well enough, you know how long each assignment's going to take, you know, how long you're going to be in class, you know, how long your commute's going to be, you know, how long lunch is going to be, you know, how long X, Y, Z is. Um, and then, so once you have kind of your, your big to-do list, your weekly to-do list, then you take it and you start plugging it in to your six days a week that you have. So you make that plan and then you stick to that plan, leaving a little bit of margin, like, like you're saying, or before what's his face uh, said, don't glean to the edge of your fields. So leaving margin in your life to be able to, um, spend time with your family and schedule that by the way. Cause if you don't schedule time with your family, you're not going to do it. Like to this day, I even have in my bullet journal family worship. <laughs> Cause if I don't have it in my bullet journal, I'm going to forget about it or I'm going to be like, ah, you know, I'll just pass this week or pass today. So are you, did you Our start bullet journal- journaling too? No, I've been doing this though, but I'm, I'm just showing our listeners can't see it, but you can see their like family, right? Mm-hmm. Like certain, yeah. Like, making your family time part of your schedule and do that in seminary. I once heard a wife of a pastor tell me one time that she was happy when seminary was over because she got to see her husband again. Hmm. Now I love the brother and uh, I get it, but, and I don't know why that was the case and it could have been an exaggeration. I'll just say this. Don't let that happen to you if you're going out to seminary for negligent reasons, right? Schedule time with your family. Um, that's going to be critical uh, to maintaining uh, spiritual, emotional health for you, for your wife, for your kids out there. And, uh, you know, it's, it is going to require some trusting of the Lord. And, and as Aaron's been saying, just discipline in other areas, you just can't jack around uh, when it comes to the other things, but you can do that. You can have a healthy, balanced church, family, and seminary life. If you are disciplined and diligent in all three of those areas. Mm -hmm. 
All right. What else you want to talk about? We're we're getting close to the hour mark. If we, not already, we are getting close. So I think just throw out some things. Just brag on RPTS. What are some pros? What did you love about RPTS? Uh, some of your fondest memories, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, why why should guys be excited about going and uh, receiving their seminary education? at RPTS, even if they're not in the RPCNA. Yeah, I mean, I could brag about RPTS for a long time. I, I think the, the basics of it is, you know, in its tagline, study under slash with, however you want to, you know, nuance that. It's the same thing, I think. I think they're synonymous terms uh, with pastors. So you're, you're stuttering, you're stuttering, you're studying with men who have real pastoral experience. Um, so it's not just academic ivory tower type stuff. This is, this is real life things that you're going to be, that you need to know. Um, and a lot of people, you know, systematic theology is for nerds. Fine, fair enough. But systematic theology, uh, if you get that wrong, the trickle down effect into every area of your ministry suffers. So having, you know, someone who has been a pastor and who knows their systematics well is, is critical. Having someone who has been a pastor for years teaching you how to preach is critical. Someone who's been a pastor and has had to counsel people for years in the ministry is critical to teach you how to counsel. Having someone who has been a pastor for years teaching you church history is critical. All of these things uh, matter, both your Old Testament, New Testament professors uh, they've used this stuff. They've had to talk about these things. They they bring real life scenarios to you. Um, so you're learning how to be a pastor, not just how to be a theologian. Anybody can learn how to be a theologian by watching YouTube videos, by going to the library, by you know perusing monergism.com and reading all those sources. Knowledge doesn't make you a pastor. You know the Lord makes you a pastor. The Lord's the one who gives you those character uh, gifts and those qualities and those talents, uh, but He also gives other pastors to help disciple pastors. So, I mean, RPTS to me is like a Paul Timothy kind of a thing. I love RPTS. So if you want to be a pastor, go to RPTS. If you want to be a theologian, just watch YouTube. Not sure. I, I subscribe to that council, but we'll, we'll float <laughs> it out there. If you want to be an armchair theologian, watch YouTube. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I just think it's important too. like, some people could hear study under pastors and think that that in some way is synonymous with like lack of theological quality or that the professors at RPTS are lacking in academic and theological abilities. And, and that couldn't be any further uh, from the truth. Um, I remember, <laughs> I remember one time uh, reading a paper from Dr. Whitla in one of his classes that had been submitted to Puritan uh, theological journal. And it was just like, um, it was like you're used to like spending time with this Lamborghini who intentionally keeps things in third gear so that you and your little Honda Accord can keep up. And what's this goofy face? Are you calling David Whitla Lamborghini? Yes. Go Are on. You mockingly laughing at him? I'm laughing at you, but go on. So, David Whitla is the Lamborghini in this analogy. I'm the Honda Accord. Okay. He's keeping it in third gear so that I can keep up. But reading this Puritan journal was like seeing him like shift into fifth or sixth gear. And it's just like, wow. And he just like pulls away, and you just realize 
that you're you're not even near as smart as this guy that he he could like sh- upshift uh at any time and just go to like another level academically in his ability to speak and formulate in the depth of his knowledge um it was just i mean i, I felt just, i felt like that in his classes so i'm i'm glad you you felt like he was going slow for you but i you know maybe i'm just dumber than you no comment there it is um, I, I knew that was coming <laughs> um no but 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 my point is that these guys they are pastors and so they do have mm-hmm. this ability to uh to teach a wide range of people that a pure academic actually may not have but my point is that these guys at RPTS could go and teach that way. Like they have Mm -hmm. the academic ability to engage at that level. Like, you know, uh, it's, it's impressive when you read some of their academic works that have been submitted to journals and you're like, no, these guys are, are equals to, um, you know, there's always going to be a pecking order, right? Like not everybody's John Calvin, right? Like, so, so, so not everyone is, you know, Carl Truman or whatever that's cranking out all the, you know, but nevertheless, these guys are, are peers with, with these kind of guys and could academically speaking, pure academic ability, go and teach at any seminary and fit in just fine. Um, so, so this idea of studying under pastors, at least with the professors we have does in no way equal uh, lack of theological knowledge on their part or theological or academic ability. They can go as deep as you want to go on any of their subjects and leave you behind real quick and in a hurry. And it's both both humbling and comforting uh, to know that. Do you have anything? Yeah. Well, I think one of the reasons why that's highlighted is, okay, yeah, the, 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 the tagline, um, fine. But because it's a small seminary, it's a very intimate seminary. And so you're able to actually be pastored by them. And so you're, you know, I'm throwing out YouTube and I love watching YouTube videos and, you know, pick, uh, pick whatever you want as far as, you know, your popular reform theologian that you can just watch on YouTube and be edified by, but you don't know the man. Um, so you're able to know the man and he's able, they're able to talk to you as legitimate friends. Um, but they're also professors. Yeah. Like, yeah no, they're, no. they're brilliant professors. Yeah, I was going to say kind of that same thing, building on the smallness of the community. So like the small class sizes. Now, there are there are a couple classes that you will like our Axe and Pauline class that we had together with Dr. Stuyvesant. That was probably the biggest class, the biggest ordinary class that I remember being a part of. I mean, there was probably but even that was only what, maybe 15, Yeah, 20? I mean, 15, 20, that's still really small compared to like RTS and, and Puritan, which are, again, are good seminaries. I'm not, I will not knock those seminaries. Um, but even 15 to 20 is a small class compared to those. But my point is we had plenty of classes um, that were like sub 10, you know, oh, or, yeah. or, or, or right around that. And so you're getting these guys that, that, that have all of the academic and theological rigor in themselves, you're getting them in a class where there's less than 10 students. And so your ability to ask them questions, to engage with them uh, during breaks, et cetera, is probably going to be unparalleled. And then another thing um, that's helpful as well, though, though some TAs will grade like, you know, basic, uh, 
basic exams or whatever, uh, the majority of your like your your bigger papers, midterms, and finals are going to actually be graded by the professors. Which, again, from what I've heard in my one experience taking a class outside of RPTS through another seminary, is that the TAs are doing most, if not all, of the grading for for some of these guys. And I don't want to overgeneralize and like speak erroneously. There may be other seminaries where you're actually getting graded by the actual professors pretty consistently as well. I'm just highlighting that as a pro that at least, let's say this, may not be the case at, at a bigger seminary. Uh, you're going to get feedback from your actual professor, um, which is going to be of a higher quality and more valuable than getting that from a TA. Do you know I graded some of your work? I do know that. Well, the only time you got below an A? Probably when you tried to sabotage my I GPA. Did, no, no, you did, you did good work, and I was edified to be able to do it. All right, you ready to land this thing? Yeah, let's you, take her down. Okay. All right. This has been another uh, episode of the Blue Banter podcast. A lot more banter than perhaps you're used to. And we look forward to being able to interview other pastors uh, about their ministry and about their experience in the future. Uh, so we do thank you for your patience uh, with that. Uh, until we get to that, uh, you can rate and review us on iTunes, whatever podcast catcher you use. You can share this episode on social media. If you have a question you'd like us to ask the pastors we have on this podcast, or you'd like us to interview your pastor, you can enter or email us. I can never get that one right, Joseph. I always screw up the email part. You can email us at the Blue Banter uh, Podcast at gmail.com, Blue Banter Podcast at gmail.com. And until next time, whether you eat, drink, or banter, do all to the glory of God.